Hello, and welcome to the Whole Equestrian Podcast, where we're bridging the gap between riding and wellness, discussing topics related to mindset, fitness, nutrition, and community. Our mission is to promote health and happiness through our love of horses. I'm Dr. Tyler Held. I am a certified mental performance consultant with my doctorate in sport and performance psychology. I am a lifelong learner in all areas within and without of sports. I am a semi and mostly retired professional five-star groom um, and also a gym owner and purple belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. So I am bringing you another guest episode this week. Um, This week we have on Wood Fulton and she was a really fun guest to get to kind of pick her brain because I feel like we have a lot of similar opinions about the industry and uh, definitely viewpoints on if you are wanting to be a professional, what kind of the path forward is for you. Um, And it was just kind of cool to talk to someone who is actually in the industry still running a program who has this similar viewpoint. So I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to the recording and I hope you guys enjoy. All right, so I am here with Woods Fulton. Woods, can you tell me a little bit about yourself, your background for maybe some of our listeners that don't know who you are? Yeah, hi guys. My name is Woods Fulton. I am a newly minted 28-year-old, um, go December birthdays. I am a five-star event rider. And with my partner, David Ziegler, we run FMF Equestrian, which is a trainee and sales competition business um, based out of my family's Full Moon Farm in Finksburg, Maryland. Um, I grew up riding at my family's farm, um, which was the best way ever to grow up. My little sister um, was an advanced level eventer as well. And... Yeah, grew up. And then from there, I went to work for Buck Davidson for six years. And then I was lucky enough to receive the Wilton Fair grant. I went over and trained in Germany for nine months with Dirk Schrader and came home and started a business the same year as COVID. So um, survived that. And uh, yeah, happy to be here. I feel like uh, Emily Hamill, who's usually does the podcast with me, she did the same thing. She was like, it's COVID and like, here's the time to break out on my new business. So that's uh, quite the adventure, but some successes. And let's go from here. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So very cool. Well, thank you so much for being on. Um, And just for everyone's context, like Woods and I were, uh, I interviewed her actually for my Between the Ears series for Eventing Nation. Um, And we just kind of started talking and really connecting on kind of like what we wish we had known about like the industry and about ourselves as, uh, you know, young horse crazy people coming up the levels, uh, you know, you more so in riding me so more so in grooming, but I feel like we have a very similar path in the regards that, you know, we looked for success on merit based on maybe not what reality is um, now that we're seeing things from a better perspective. So that's kind of what we're going to gear our conversations on today and just let things flow and and kind of see what happens. But I think that's kind of where we left off um, my, our last interview. So I, I'd love to pick up with you kind of just talking about this concept of what you wish you had known as a young equestrian professional. 
Yeah, I think um, even just taking sort of a question out of it, I think a lot of, you know, the same principles apply. Just um, I think in our culture, we are very sort of trained or taught that if someone is good at one thing, they're good at all things. And I think growing up, it can be sort of confusing when you see that people who are great riders maybe aren't great horsemen or people who are great instructors maybe aren't great riders um, or people who win gold medals um, aren't great instructors or aren't good people or that kind of thing. And I think sort of in the generation we grew up in, um, a lot of people got braver sort of voice and I want to say complaints but talking about sort of the negative side of the industry um and I think a lot of older people got their hackles up when there started to be more to more of an open dialogue about the positives and the negatives and sort of the well like this is how it's always been this is the only way it can be and I think in horses it can be really difficult because and especially in eventing when we really don't have that much prize money no one's getting rich eventing um you know I think it can be really difficult to find the line between how it's always been and what we expect and then also how can we make it healthier and sustainable going forward um and having been on both sides of that you know having been a working student for a long time and making next to no money and working literally all the time um and now that i'm an employer and a business owner i you know constantly sort of see that see that struggle of how can i give this young person an opportunity and how can i be really generous with my time and my money but also this is supposed to be a business. Yeah. Yeah. And actually that's, I'm glad you brought up that point because I feel like that's something that is a push pull kind of thing, right? Like you want it to be better for the next generation. And then you look around and you're like, well, we're kind of stuck in some of these harsh realities of the industry and the money and the funds and everything like that. And so even when I was grooming for Jenny, you know, I would look around and we'd be trying to make these working students lives better than maybe we had it when we were working students. And in some ways that ends up being a pitfall, right? Because it's just like not everything set up to work that way and like you want them to have a better life you want them to take time off to have you know the flexible hours and you know feel like they can go to school but then how does it work as a business so I'd be curious to hear like how that has been going for you at in the position of a business owner like have you felt like you've been able to find that happy medium of giving people a life in and outside of the barn that's better quality I definitely have not figured out the recipe for success yet. I would say that when we first started out, both my partner and I um, have worked at different places, but both done sort of the working student um, or like paid low level employee or paid trainer sort of position. So we both have had a similar sort of experience. And I think that's what helps makes us successful as partners and as business partners is just like we really know what we don't want and this is what we do want um but then in trying to balance that I would say with like our first couple of working students like I I envied the life they had for sure um and then that you know that didn't work out super well because then I was feeling like I was giving a lot more than I was getting 
and not necessarily to their fault either. Like just because you're giving someone X amount of money and a house and a stall and lessons every day, there's only so many hours in the day. Everyone's only human. So sort of finding the balance of just because I'm giving you X, Y, and Z doesn't mean that there'll never be a speck of dust in the barn or doesn't mean that um, you'll never put the wrong saddle pad on the horse. Like that's just not realistic. Um, and you think the thing we're struggling with now is just making the amount of money that we can pay someone an attractive salary, but that it's affordable. Like I, we're paying our employees more than we are making, yep. which is, is difficult, but good employees are good employees and you want to pay them what, what I didn't want to say what they deserve because I don't think anyone in this industry is getting paid what they deserve, myself included. I am, but yeah, just finding that line of like, it has to be a pretty big number to get people to even call you back or answer your Facebook message. Um, but then also it, it does have to be a business and that's where it sort of gets tricky because I would say I'm like, oh, well, I'll just do it myself person. And like, oh, you go home early. Like I'll just finish up. But as we all know, sort of the last hour of the barn is the longest hour of the day yeah. and sort of the tidying up part of that is like all of a sudden it goes from five 30 to seven 30 really quick. Um, and you get into that cycle of, um, yeah, like I'm just not that young anymore. And my body is telling me, Hey, like we probably, can't do this seven days a week every single day um so no I certainly haven't haven't figured out the the magic to that yeah well and I, I it's funny like I think it's interesting I have friends in like the racing industry that always tell me like oh like no one's in the barn like after 4 p.m right like they, they wake up early they they get their work in and someone comes back and feeds no one's in the barn past 4 p.m and like again, it's a completely different industry, completely different, like financial structure, completely different thing. But to me, like as a mental health professional, one of the things that I see really big in this industry is that you take a working student job and it basically takes away your your needs. Your needs for fulfillment are autonomy, relatedness, and competence, right? And so here I am, uh, if you get a bad professional, you're barking down the working student's neck all day about, like you said, the wrong saddle pad, the speck of dust, and you feel like you have no control of your, over your life. Um, a lot of times, like, I, I know I'm in Chester County now, and I was really lucky when I was here to have such a big community of horse people, but my first working student job, I was like the one, right? Like, I'm alone. I'm not connecting with a big group of people. And then, like, there's a lot of structures that make you feel like you're never doing a good enough job, right? So it's just like constantly being beat down. And then when you pair that with not having any time outside of the barn, any time outside, um, it's really difficult. And I think there's this cultural thing that says equestrian shouldn't need it. Right. Like we shouldn't need to have uh, time to relax after work. We shouldn't need to have a personal life or make plans or like we almost wear the oh, I skipped my best friend's wedding as like a chip on my shoulder. I know I certainly did. Um, and I know you were in an environment like that for a long time. So I think that's like definitely something I'd love to like hear your thoughts about just like time management and like what you do do when you get the opportunity to get time outside of the barn. 
Well, I think like in a lot of ways it can be compared to like generational trauma, right? And we all have things we don't like about our grandmother. And then you start to see that. Well, I shouldn't say we all, but like in my family, my grandmother was a little bit the crazy one. Um, And both my sister and I like started therapy quite early in our lives because we wanted to make sure that we had a better relationship with our mother than she had with hers. Um, And like no relationship is perfect, but I feel like just sort of realizing that is a good sort of first step. Um, But like you said, you know, equestrians and I feel like eventers, especially like we're taught to love the struggle and we're taught that like the highs and lows of the sport like that's that's amazing and that's normal and I think to a certain degree yeah like but that's the highs and lows of life that's not necessarily like of eventing um and I think you know we see young people see the successful people in the sport and it looks like they're and I don't know that specifically now but I know that growing up like you just see like everyone working all the time and all these people doing clinics every single free weekend and away from their family and away from their kids and not going to the beach or not doing anything fun. Um, and I feel like that was sort of passed down onto us. And so now, even though I am cognizant of that, I should be taking more time um, or should be taking more care of my body and those kind of things. It's really hard to break that cycle, especially when like back to the working student conversation, you want I want them to have a better time than I did. So I'm like, oh, go ahead. Like, I'll just finish up. And then that, then it's 730 at night and you're getting Chick-fil-A for dinner again. And, um, and there's that. And I always sort of think back to that, like meme that goes around on Facebook all the time about like, how are we supposed to eat like 47 fruits and vegetables, get 10 hours of sleep at night, read a book every day, go for a walk, da, 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 da. And I feel like for, equestrians it's like all of that plus how are you supposed to hack your advanced horse for an hour every day and flat enough and gallop enough and teach enough lessons and get enough downtime and take care of your body and I feel like you know that cycle is is really draining yeah and it's funny like I think it's almost because we get stuck into like what it has to look like right like and I know you were in a program for so long and it's just like this is how it operates and so I feel like it's like the the typical sort of cookie cutter method is you are a young professional you get a working student job you learn the way that program works and then eventually like you hope that you can go off on your own and replicate that that business um you know I talked to Courtney Carson a lot and like what's saying that like you can't go get a chiropractic appointment at nine o'clock on a Tuesday and your working student can't go get their chiropractic appointment on nine o'clock on a Thursday, right? Like it's like uh, one of the biggest things that I think helped a lot in uh, Jenny's program when I was there is like I was getting my doctorate. So I would come in late three days a week and Alexa, who was the head rider at the time, needed to make extra money. So she would leave early three days a week to go ride horses. And like, there's no reason that says like, oh, we have to be here 
from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. to be successful. I mean, that last year was the only year that we did it. And that was the year that Jenny uh, was on the team the, at Bookalo that did really well. And then she was fourth at the Maryland Five Star. And I really do believe that it's because the staff and the people were happy and like Jenny was happy and everything was running smoothly. And I know personally that I'm willing to work harder knowing that I have some control in my life over the things that I want to do. And I'm going to put a way more quality seven, eight, nine hour day of work than the work I can do in 15 hours when I'm exhausted and burnt out and tired. And I feel like people just don't get that. For sure. And like you said in the beginning, I mean, autonomy, I think is so important. And it's something that I struggle with still. Like if I get to the barn at 7.01, like I have made a conscious effort to start getting there at 7.10 and just work through the panic attack that would happen. And, you know, I remember one day, like when I was first home from Germany and first getting the swing of things, I got stuck in front, like I'm a Starbucks addict. Okay. Like proper. And it's just part of the routine again, because I love being able to get up and go do something that I want to do before I feel like I'm sort of like at the barn all day. And I got stuck behind a school bus and David called to like, oh, hey, how's it going? Good morning. And I was like, I'm not good. I'm running late. Like, I'm going to get there at 7.02. And he was like, and? And I was like, and I have to get to the barn at 7. He was like, would your own boss? Like, who's going to yell at you? And I was like, I don't know. I just can't handle it. Like, I can't be late. Um, and yeah, those are those are the type of things that I think it's really hard to untrain yourself to. And even now, like you've got a doctor's appointment and I feel like I have to write out a huge list of things. And like, this has to be done this way. And this horse goes out here. And I have to make sure that everything is just so before I can feel okay to leave, which is ridiculous. Like we've got, got a great employee. She's super, she, she could do it with or without me every single day of the rest of her life. But it's that sort of guilt of like, I can't even go to the doctor's appointment in December without feeling like, I'm going to get in trouble for it. Yeah. And I guess that kind of opens up the conversation of like the culture of being in a program. Um, are you comfortable with talking a little bit about like maybe some of the highs and lows of of life in a program since you did you were in one for such like a long extended period of time? Yeah, you know, I think I was really lucky in the way that the person I went to was great at the teaching writing aspect. Um Again, what I wish I had known is that that doesn't mean that they're a great person. Um, and the situation I was in, I had known him for a really long time. And he had started doing clinics at our farm at a, like when I was a really young age and that kind of thing. So I was really comfortable and really trusting. Um, and, you know, I was there for it was a little over six years. And I went there like right when I was 17, I think. Um, and. So I like I trusted without question. And when things were hard, I was like, well, this is just the way. Um, and the whole like, oh, well, you went to a show. So that's your day off. And oh, well, you like I did a bunch of grooming while I was there. And still like to this day, like I I think I um, align myself much more with the groom side of thing than with the rider side of things, um, mostly because I think being a groom is much harder than being a rider. Um, and yeah, just getting to go, getting to go on those like big trips and those adventures and stuff was all really cool. Um, 
but like that was my job that shouldn't have been counted as as free time and I don't want to say that that didn't help me an invaluable amount when I went over with my own horse um but that doesn't mean that you have to like pay penance when you get home if that makes sense um and I will say like the first couple years there like it was it was incredible like we had a really close-knit group of people and I hate when people say that as some sort of like come join us we're a family um because like your coworkers aren't supposed to be your family right. and the fact that you rely on each other for survival says more about the culture at work than about the friendships because now like looking at those group of people like honestly we didn't have that much in common um you would have never like if there was a friendship for tw- tinder like you would have never like swipe right on any of them to be friends with with me yeah. um but it was a great group and um we loved each other and it like they were the only reason we got through every day um so then when that crew sort of broke apart um that was really hard to sort of continue on without them and not shockingly the other people that came in I don't want to say I was mean to but probably I was mean to um just because I'm like I've been here I've done this this place sucks this is what you need to do to get through it and I'm sure yeah I'm I know I was not nearly as welcoming as I should have been but I was sort of like here's your survival guide read it or like this place will eat you alive um and a few people did sort of (laughs) did listen and got and you know sort of got something out of it but the place really did chew a lot of people up and spit a lot of people out and I'm sure I was a big part of that just because I'm like this is easier if I do it myself um but yeah, it was, it was pretty, pretty toxic. Um, and then at the end, it really just, you know, made me super sad because I, I was sort of trusting them to say, Hey, this is when, this is when it's a good time for you to move on. And it turns out they thought it was a good time for me to move on and didn't really, didn't really make that clear to me. Mm-hmm. Um, which again, like, I don't really love the word communication because I feel like it's sort of like, abstract and means different things to different people um but certainly I I learned from that or I think I've learned from that and try really hard to just be probably at the to the degree of being blunt I feel like I just try and say what I mean and mean what I say now because I'm pretty sick of that like oh we need her to stay because she's a good employee even though it's even though it's in her best interest to have, you know, to have moved on already. Yeah, no, and I think that's like a really good point because, you know, I, I even I was a horrible horseback rider, right? Like I like that's what I originally wanted to do. I was I was terrible. Um I I did like a training three day and then like the wheels fell off and I I couldn't get through a novice. Like I bought like a really expensive, nice horse. Like I just couldn't ride it. And um Aww. part of the reason why I'm a sports psychologist today, right? But one of the things that like sparked in me was this intense obsession with like, what does it, like, what is success in the equestrian industry? Like, how do you become successful? And as a young, you know, professional that 
room, vet tech, working student, everything that I was doing, what I saw was people that went and worked for someone for some amount of time and then went off on their own and did it. And then now I see as I like talk to people, you know, maybe it's not working for someone. Maybe it's finding that person that's going to have a couple horses for you and you train with someone and uh, go to a few different programs, see different people's opinions, because we get so forced into a box of like, this is the way things are and these are the way things should be. And then all of a sudden, like when you're with someone that doesn't really click and mesh with you, like I'm going to circle back of saying I was horrible horseback rider. I think I got stuck with a trainer that like we didn't really like vibe and connect with. And had I gone back to a different circumstance, different horse, like different mindset, it would have been different. Cause like, I truly believe that you can achieve anything that you set your mind to. And the barriers to that were just so strong because I was in a program that I was like, I believe everything is right. And if I'm not failing, if I'm not succeeding, it must be me because I'm drinking the Kool-Aid, right? Like I'm listening, I'm doing, I'm putting the work in and I'm just like, all I'm willing to do is work harder and harder and harder. And so like, as this is falling apart, I'm like, it's my fault. And then all of a sudden you sit there and you like hate yourself because of it. And and it's just like a huge mental health struggle too. So looking back, like, obviously these are like sort of the magical questioning, whatever, like what, what do you think you would have done differently in your career? Like, do you think you would have branched off sooner? Like, uh, changed, pivoted, like worked in several different programs. What do you think the ideal path forward for the next generation is? I mean, I think I, I'm not even sure I would say I wish I was older because I'm not sure. I'm not sure I would have had that life experience if I had been sort of two years older. Like, I think you sort of need, I don't want to say you need to go through it, but see, that's where it comes into play. I'm like, you need to go through it in order to learn. But yeah, so sort of short circuit that. Um, I wish I had been a little bit more um, sure of myself and just like, you know, I think there's a lot to be said for trust your gut. And if you're crying more days than you're not crying, like, I think that needs, I think that needs to be addressed. Um, And I wouldn't consider myself an overly emotional person, but I'm certainly sensitive. Um, Having said that, I don't think like your coach should know you. And I think some people need to be pushed harder than others. Um, But certainly now, if I had a student that was crying in every single lesson, I would come home and be like, okay, like, what am I doing wrong? Because clearly, clearly my method of teaching isn't working for them. Um, And then when you've got a team of employees that are all, needing their 10 minutes in the bathroom to cry it out. Like, I think that, you know, needs to be, needs to be addressed. Um, so I think going into it more trusting myself and sort of, and like the people around me, and I'm very lucky, like both my parents do horses professionally. Um, I have a horsey family and, you know, I think drinking the Kool-Aid is like a serious thing that we say all the time, like jokingly, but like when everyone around me was like, dude, like you need to leave. And I'm like, no, I don't. This is how it has to be done. Like as I'm sobbing on the phone, like, no, I can do this. Um, And like, kudos to them because I can't imagine how hard, that was for them to like listen to and watch me go through it. Um, 
and they were as supportive as they could be in every possible way. But I know that if they had been like, that's it, we're taking you home like right now, like I'm I'm not sure I could have forgiven them for that, um, at least not in a healthy amount of time. Um, so I think, you know, trusting your gut a bit more, even though you're constantly told you're young and you don't know anything, you know what's right, you know what's wrong. Um, and then probably not staying, you know, staying as long. And I think, again, with eventing, there's sort of that evolution of like, you start as a working student, and then you get to be a rider, and then you get to be like the assistant, um, which I think is sort of like a bogus thing, because those rarely come with pay raises. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, you cling to the title of like, oh, I'm the rider for so-and-so. Um as if like you aren't all cleaning stalls at the end of the day, or at least in my case, <laughs> it doesn't matter how many horses you were riding, you were still cleaning stalls. Um, so I wish I hadn't stayed as long and gotten, like it really affected my confidence. Um, and I think the, when I went to Germany, I think I could have gotten so much more out of the experience if I wasn't sort of constantly worried about, doing everything exactly right and it has to be perfect and da, 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 when it's a totally new system of riding it's a language I don't speak in a country I'd never been to um like I think I would have gotten exponentially more out of it if I hadn't been so sort of like always looking behind me like wondering if I'm doing everything right yeah, and I feel like that's like the slippery slope of, you know, on both sides of of the coin of, okay, I don't want to sit here and like shit talk like eventing in the industry because like I do love the sport and I want it to grow and I want it to be better for people. But like even just like hearing you talk through that, I've been watching like cult documentaries on Netflix like a lot recently. And it's like literally like if you watch it, there's one that's like how to be a cult leader, how to manipulate, like make them buy into the values and stuff. And like you crying saying like, I need to be here. Like that's exactly what that is. It's like you care so much for something and you believe so much in what it is that you're like, I just have to work harder. And like I was the same way. Like my someone told me my braids sucked and I'd just be there with like tears streaming down my face, like braiding, just not even ready to to go to a show right like I'm like braiding every night in the barn just trying to make my braids tighter and more beautiful and I'm like I'm gonna do this and like I think back to my first jobs and like I'm like horrified I don't know how the horses survived like I didn't know what I didn't know like I like I did some really sad my first working student job was at Wardaka I worked for Steph Core at Wardaka I'm like I did some really sketchy stuff there like I I, I like need to go like apologize to Steph like 10 years later and be like I can't believe that but then you you get into the position when you're on the other side and you're like how do I get people to get it without making their life miserable because that's the conditioning right like we need to do it from the negative space and be like oh you suck and and then they'll be motivated to get better but in actuality like if you suck at picking up a flying lead change, going into the flying lead change saying, I can't do this is not going to help you pick up a flying lead change. And I think like we have a better adaptive mindset for that with our horses than we do with people. Um, and again, like I think 
it's almost like a circular conversation of they're not, there isn't really an answer yet. There really isn't a way to say like, oh yeah, there's just like loads of money and we can make sure people have like the opportunity to, to take their week long vacation and feel like they can actually do something on it. And they can have an extra day off here and there because horses do need to get fed, right? Like they do need their stalls mucked. They did like all of this stuff needs to happen, but how do we change that need in a different way? Yeah, I remember my first, um, I don't know if it was my first show, but um, Dirk was really great and let me compete some horses while I was over there. And it was like a two star, which already I was freaked out about because here FEI entries are so expensive. And I was like, oh, Dirk, like, I don't know, like, you sure you want me to ride this horse? He was like, yeah, I was like, but FEI, it's so expensive. He's like, it's like 120 euros, like, shut up. And then um, I had to stop and I came back and I mean, like shaking like a leaf crying already i'm i'm so sorry i'm so sorry he was like for what and i was like he had to stop i ruined his record and he's like what are you nuts like it's fine like you didn't have a chance of getting around on that horse like that's fine like it's just about experience and you both need to get out and it was like mind blown to me that i hadn't been like told that i was a failure and i'm never going to be able to ride another horse ever again um and then you know to your braiding point like, I think that's where it gets difficult, too, because we're taught this whole, like, 10,000 hours, and you have to practice really good to be, like, amazing and da-da-da, and I think that's such a fine line. Um, like, I want to practice because I want to get better at something, not because someone told me I suck. And I think, you know, if you had taken it on yourself to be like, I'm going to practice braiding because everything else is cleaned up and I don't have anything else to do, that's a much different thing than you being there at 10 p.m., braiding like by a headlamp um because you were so embarrassed that someone told you your your braids are horrible yeah which in in fairness like they were like that's the hard thing like I, I look at the pictures like they were pretty bad braids but like at the same time it is it's it's finding I think finding the slice for like compassion in in the industry of like hey like we we've all been there like we've all We've all sucked before. Like I, I was so weak when I first started working with horses that I had my parents buy me a hose for the barn because like I was supposed to be lifting water buckets. I was like, these are too heavy. Like now I'm like, jujitsu, like all that stuff. No, like I, I was like, I can't lift a water bucket. We're going to buy a hose for this barn. Um, But like, and, and then I think it's just, you know, you and I talked a little bit about like the social media thing. Like you don't see that stuff on social media. Like you don't see the reality of what a barn is going to be like. And so like you do get a lot of undertrained and underprepared people going into this situation and they might have the potential to do really well, but then they just get thwarted by someone that's like super negative and then you just see the Facebook ads saying like we, we're looking for help we're looking for help we're looking for help well how many people are looking for help because it's genuinely like not a good place to work and they have like a really big churn rate versus like people who are trying to stick their neck outs for the right people and like find the right position and I think that's another hard topic of conversation for sure and like I I'm sure I'm not the best person to work for, but I am certainly not the worst. Um, and uh, very aware of my communication shortcomings. And but like we've got a barn full of nice horses. I am there every single day, 
also cleaning stalls. Um, and we have still had people leave in the middle of the night. We have still had people just like have panic attacks and need to leave. Um, and I think, I think, you know, the other thing about sort of eventing and the working student thing is it's at a very difficult time in your life that most people enter into those sorts of positions, you know, sort of the 17 to 22, like that's, that's a shitty time of life for like most everybody, right? You're trying to figure your stuff out. You either didn't go to college and you're kind of having second thoughts about not going to college, or you did go to college and now you feel like you should be getting 80,000 a year because you went to Otterbein and they taught you how to pick a stall. Um, and yeah, like I'm like, and, but con I think the difference and I hope the difference, or at least that's what I tell myself is that every single time we have like a failed working student situation, I'm like, well, what do we do better next time? Like, what were the signs? Why did we not have a clue that she was going to leave in the middle of the night? And also like, why was she too scared to tell me that she wanted to leave? And that for me is like, is a big one. Um, because you don't want anyone to feel uncomfortable and it's a job and it's a job with a high turnover rate, you know, people are going to leave, but I, I would respect you enough to tell you that you're getting fired, not just like, sorry, you need to leave immediately. Um, and I, you know, sort of respect that in return that you're like, Hey, I'm sorry, I'm not happy. I want to go in a different direction. Um, so I feel like even when, yeah, even when it is sort of a, a healthier environment, I'm not sure it's healthy enough. And I'm not sure that, yeah, people are really like ready for a working student position. I think a big part of that is social media because you just see like, oh, we went to the show and it went great. And here's the working student holding the horse with a ribbon and like, yay, we're all a big happy family. What you didn't see is like the day before they had to do the entire barn by themselves because you were at the show. And and so I think a lot of times, or at least in my experience, we've gotten a lot of like 19 year olds with the 22 year old quarter horses and they want to go to the Olympics. And it's sort of that, like, how do you tell them that on this horse, that's not realistic. And if this horse is the only reason that you like riding, this probably isn't the sport for you. Yep. Yeah, no. And that's, that's funny. Like so much vibing with what you said there. I, I remember I was like, I think I was 23 and I was like, I've been here longer. So I'm the head person. And this girl's like, she's like 29 and she comes with her like 20 year old thoroughbred that roared. And she had done a working student position 10 years ago. And she's just like, we, we could have gone advanced had I not, I'm like, your horse can't breathe. Like what, <laughs> what are you doing? Right. And, and, and that's hard. Like you, you, because when you know, you see it as the reality, right? And it's hard not to just come back with that harsh reality conversation and say, oh, like, this isn't gonna work, uh, you know? And I think, like, I think the other side of things is that, you know, professionals get young riders and they tell everyone that you can be an Olympian. Everyone can be, uh, oh, just buy this expensive horse and you can just make it up the levels, no problem. So you've got like the working student side of things. And then you've got like the clientele side of things. And I think there's abusive situations that happen on, on a lot of ends of the spectrum. And that's a conversation that I have with my um, clients a lot of time. Like they'll go through 
it's it's like it's sad to me how many people like I'm coaching on their mental stuff and I'm like you don't have a problem like your coach just tells you you're awful like how do you expect to thrive in that right and then they're like oh they're trying to sell my horse and I'm like unfortunately it kind of sucks that professionals want you to buy a horse that you can't ride so that they can get the paycheck on that and like that is that is the reality um and I think that's having these conversations opens up the reality to change, right? Like even when there isn't uh, this is how it can work. This is how we can make it more financially sustainable. This is how we can make working student positions better. Just having the conversation that like, it's not all sunshine and roses and daisies, I think helps us more so than just being quiet about the fact that you could get in a cult-like environment and like hate yourself for six years, you know? No, for sure. And that's, um, yeah, try and be really upfront with people that it's like, you don't have to be my friend. We just have to respect each other. And if you have a problem with me, please tell me that day. Don't wait six months until you like can't stand it here. Um, And same thing, like if I have a problem with you, I'm going to tell you. And then if I tell you, then I'm going to be able to let go of that grudge. But if I'm like, oh, whatever, like I don't want her to be mad at me or I don't want her to leave like I'm not, I'm not perfect by any means. And I definitely have anger management issues. And it's like those little things add up and then, yeah, no one's like, no one's stupid. And especially for us, like it's a very small environment. So if the two people that are there every single day don't want to be around each other, like that's toxic. And that's, of course, that's not going to be healthy. Um, But I think to your point of, um, yeah, there were like, a working student can be a business asset um, in more ways than just their their free or their cheap labor. Um, and I think like we have a, a good group of kids that grow up like riding here and every every year I'd say there's probably one of them that chooses to go off and be a working student. And on one hand, I like think that's a compliment to like my mom and the program here and the fact that they think that being in the horse industry is something they want to do. Um, I think we almost do too good of a job of shielding them from the realities of like what horse people are and how crazy they can be. Um, because most all of our kids that like they all start with us, like they all little tiny tots and they get their first pony and then their first pony and then whatever, they go begin on novice, they go to AEC, and they're like, yay, eventing's fun. Um, so on one hand, I think, you know, the riding school aspect does a really good job of showing people that you can make money. But like my parents are really good business people. Um, and I think it almost glamorizes the oh look if you have lesson horses you can make money and oh look if you just work these number of hours like you can have a safe facility um but what they don't see is that is all of the other things that you know you and I know from having your own business but it's it's that part that you're sort of always on call and then that's where it comes into the mental health side of things because like being on call all the time is really taxing. Yeah. And I think like, you know, that, that does sort of tie back into the conversation of when it is truly like something that you love and it's your own, it's a, it's a bit easier. Like, and I'm sure you're finding that like with your own business as well, but I I would, I 
would assume that your parents would say like, oh, like this is this is our thing, right? Like, so we're willing to put the effort, the hours into it because we're in control here. And that's where when you're underneath someone that kind of gets pulled out from underneath of you. And and that's kind of the the tricky part of, yeah, okay, but to get there, to get to be the one that's doing my own thing to making my own decision, there is no clear path. Um, so I'd be curious to hear like, within the realm of like the realities of the industry, what do you think are like a couple things that professionals like yourself can be doing to make better experiences for people? I think a big one is just pay transparency. And, you know, I think it can get really muddy quickly when you're like, well, you get $300 a week, but all of this is included. Um, So what we like to do is like housing is this amount of money, board is this amount of money, lessons are this amount of money, and then you get paid this. And then if you want four lessons, then you pay for those four lessons and that's at a reduced cost, but that's still paid. And that helps me feel like my time is being valued, even if it's 75% less than what I charge normal clients. That yep. still makes me like I am getting something back for my effort. Um, and I think it just helps it be, A, it's better for taxes and B, it's a lot clearer to everyone like this is what you get and then you can spend your money however you want to spend it and you don't have to live on the property you don't have to live in the um housing that's provided but it is probably a thousand dollars cheaper than anything else you will find in our area and we live in expensive areas so that's why we have housing that's provided but like again that autonomy is really important and if you want to eat less quality food or less of it and live in a much nicer place. Like that's your decision. That's totally up to you. And, um, if you want to bring your 22 year old quarter horse that you can only hack on, that's perfectly fine. But like, this is what the stall costs and this is what the grain costs. This is what the hay costs. Um, and if you want to ride one of our horses, that's, that's fine too. But I think, I think that transparency um, and just sort of laying it all out there ahead of time for us has made it a lot more honest feeling. Um, and I think that protects both sides that when they come back to you and say like, Hey, I'm not getting paid enough. It's like, okay, well, like, why not? Why do you feel undervalued? Um, yeah. I, I think that's sort of the biggest thing. And then also just, you know, time, like a day off has to happen. And if there's a week that, you know, a day off is not going to happen. If you've got, you know, back to back three days or something like that, that's something that needs to be discussed way ahead of time. And is like, Hey, cause again, like, I hate, I hate this. Oh, sorry. Like you don't get one this week. It's like, why you knew you were going to have to go back to back. Um, fair hill to poe or whatever like you knew you knew that that wasn't gonna happen so be honest with me ahead of time um and then you get hey is it okay if you have two days off the next week or oh you have a doctor's appointment okay well like that's kind of unfortunate timing but like take the afternoon off i'll cancel the lessons that kind of thing and i think i don't know that it makes a difference but i know that if i had been in that position i was like hey like i have a doctor's appointment i really cannot miss knowing that both of you have skin in the game and not that 
you have to then come back for your doctor's appointment and still do all of the chores that you had to do ahead of time. Like no one goes to the doctor for fun. Um, right. And that I, I didn't go to the doctor for six years. I was like, I just won't go to the doctor. Like, great. Yeah. Um, and I, th- you know, I think it can be really uncomfortable too, being like, hi, no, like I really need to- telling your male employer, you need to go to the gynecologist. But it's like, hey, no, like I, I need to go do this. Um, so, and I've, I've told you every day for the last month and a half that this is when my appointment is. So like, it's not your business. Um, and that's, you know, I chose to be self-employed and the people working for us didn't like, it's not, it's not their business. It's a job for them. And I think keeping that in mind, like, especially with horses, like you want people to be invested and you want them to love the horses. Um, And I know like that was one of the things that kept me where I was the longest because like I loved those horses and I was so worried about who was going to take care of them, how they were going to be cared for, if they were going to be cared for when I left. Um, But I think that's important to remember that like my horses are my horses and they're my responsibility. And this working student's job is to help me with that. It's not, their job is, is not these horses. Yeah, no, I love that. I love that. And then um, just kind of to flip things upside down there as a professional, um, what would you like to see in the industry that would change for you to be able to offer better work place for both yourself and for people like this is this can be magical thinking um considering that like I think there's a lot of reality stuff that we're against there yeah I would just love an like someone and I think that's where it's a little bit different like for me when I think working student I don't think employee yep and that's where I'm sure like sort of old thinking like comes into play but like for a working student, like I would love someone that wants to learn and someone that like says, Hey, can I do these stalls after your lesson so I can come and watch or like, Hey, can you show me how to wrap that polo or like do a spider bandage or why do you put those studs in? Um, like, I think it's so much less awkward to be around someone when you feel like they want to be there as opposed to your sort of like making them do the work, if that makes sense. Um, and I think that's where sort of it's a, a difficult line between like working students are for sure employees, but when someone says they want to be a working student, I'm expecting them to want to learn the ins and outs and like want to learn why this horse is different than this horse and why, um, this one gets led with a chain and this one doesn't and why this one gets carrots and this one gets apples and those types of things. Um, as opposed to an employee, I feel like I'm more comfortable with it being, um, I guess just transactional will be a good word for it. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Um, anything else that you want to kind of cover or share on any of that? I mean, I feel like we filled a lot of conversations and again, I, I, I regret that there's not like a answer, right? Like I I would love to just sit here and say like, which and I came up with the answer for what the industry should do and what it should be like, because I feel like this is 
both sides, right? Employees, working student, but also for you, right? Like I have plenty of friends that are in your position, uh, you know, Emily herself, like starting her own farm, running her own business. And I see how hard it is. A friend of mine worked for Philip for years and then went to go start her own uh, business. And, And it's just like the way that she works so hard and like financially it's still the hardest thing to make everything work and like take the horses to shows and you know have the help and do all the things that you need to do I feel like it's not just okay like let's be a voice for the working students and and the employees in the big barns it's let's be a voice for the people that like you are trying to have their own business do their own thing uh you know compete horses train and like yeah obviously everyone wants to go win medals and ribbons and accolades and stuff like that but at the end of the day like the sacrifices that it takes to be like the one percent that's really really doing it up there uh, maybe isn't worth it you know no a thousand percent and I think if I've learned anything it's really like you and it sounds so like cheesy but you really have to just enjoy the journey um I remember after my first Kentucky like I was so depressed at the end of it and it went as amazingly as your first Kentucky could ever go but I was just like I don't know if I was convinced or what but like I thought like after you do Kentucky like you've made it right like you do Kentucky and nothing's harder than that and then I don't know, there would just be like a red carpet in front of me with like people being like, oh, here's a million dollars cash and some nice horses to ride. And like probably the re- like realist side of my brain knew that wasn't true. But like right after Kentucky, you go to a war docker or you go to a florally or you go fall off a baby or something like that. Like it's it can't be all about getting to the top and for a long time that was like my only goal and you get to the top and then it's sort of like well what now and that's where I think the you know enjoying the process thing is really important because I don't know I don't think I would be mentally tough enough to do this sport if I genuinely didn't like just enjoy horses and enjoy being with them and watching the babies grow older and that kind of thing um So I guess if you are one of those people that like only enjoys the victories, like really take care of yourself (laughs) Um, because the victories do not come often. And if they're coming often for you right now, take care of yourself even more because they'll stop coming. (laughs) Um, And I don't like mean to me pessimistic at all, but like that's just, you know, the reality of life and you see like the top writers all the time, the people that we were all like, oh my God, they're the best in the world last year, aren't world number ones anymore. Um, And like you said, like to get to that 0.01% of the very best in the world, like even those guys are changing places all the time. Um, And so I think it's important to sort of realize why you're doing what you're doing and then like help yourself find enjoyment in that and not sort of looking towards the social media posts. Um, Because I know I constantly do. And I'm like, how are they doing this? Like, how do they have any money left in their bank account? Because I know what mine looks like. And it is 
not good. Um, and it's not for lack of trying or lack of sweating or crying or blood or whatever. Um, I think it's just a really, you know, it's a hard world and especially eventing is, is really difficult. And I think it can be tough to, or it can be easy to see everyone else doing so well. And you're like, well, I'm just stuck over here, just riding babies around. Um, but the reality is everyone, everyone feels that I think. At least everyone that I talk to feels that. Yeah, no. And I think like, if anything, our sport is more of an equalizer than, you know, basketball or football or anything like that. Just the the harsh realities come to everyone. And I don't know any rider that has stood on the Olympic podium that, you know, doesn't have a story of surgery, pain, mental, physical, emotional struggle. And like, that's where you can choose to honor, right? Like, oh, I'm beating up my body for this purpose in this cause. Or you can say, I'm going to be patient and I'm going to do it the right way and, and take the wins and losses as I can. But like, I think more people need to believe that you can achieve that high level of success without killing yourself for it and that's not suffering is different than not being uncomfortable right because the pursuit of excellence is uncomfortable there are things that are unpleasant that are on that path I mean nobody would love to go sit in two point for 25 minutes on a trot set but I'm sure that will make you stronger that's part of the journey that's uncomfortable that's completely different than feeling like your life is held together by a thread. Like any little thing is going to make you cry. Like you can't cope with setbacks and things that don't go your way, right? Like that to me is, as I redefine mental toughness, it's like mentally tough people aren't the one that are working really hard and are at the barn from seven to seven. Like mentally tough people are the ones who can handle the fall, the lame horse, the setback and do it with grace and with passion and keep going and realizing that that's part of the journey and that we can keep pushing through. And, you know, I think admitting that you're wrong is a huge part of that. Like, that's, I think that's a huge, you know, huge component of mental toughness being like, well, this isn't working. Let's try something different instead of just that, like banging your head against the wall, seven to seven, 365. Like if that's not working for you, then let's, let's find something different. And I think too, like eventing is so special in that there can be such rider longevity in it. Like we're not gymnasts. Mm -hmm. Um, and I don't care how many times anyone told me David O'Connor didn't go advanced until he was 30. It's like, well, I need to do it younger. Um, but, you know, you see Phil out there and it's like, okay, I can do this for the next 30 years if I take care of myself um, so that I want to do this for the next 30 years. And I think that's that's a big sort of difference is, can I and do I want to? Yeah, yeah, no, and I think that's so important. Uh, when my health, my health teacher had a sign that said, like, if you don't take care of your body, then where will you live? And I used to think that was so stupid, right? Like, I was like a 14-year-old a kid. I'm like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever read. And now I'm like, no, like, literally, like, look at these people who are like, oh, I broke my collarbone, and I'm just gonna go ride around a four-star the next day. Like, no, 
because it's because I'm signed up because I don't want to lose the entry fee because my owners want me to go. And I'm like, cool, that what is that one four star in compared to the next 30 years of your career? And that's the longevity thinking that like needs to happen. And then the 17 year old that works for you thinks that that is the only way to make it. And then we're just perpetuating the, yeah, the issue. Yeah. Awesome. Well, great conversation. Um, I love the vulnerability. Thank you for being so open with me again. Um, I think we both want to get across that. Like, this is not to say like eventing sucks. Don't do eventing. Don't be in the industry. Like this is, we love eventing and we want to make it better for everyone, um, involved with it. And that's when you're doing something that you're passionate about, like equestrian sports, uh, there should be joy, you know, and and not that it's going to be every day is just like sunshine, rainbows and daisies. Like I said, that's the difference between suffering and being uncomfortable. Like if you're in the horse industry, there are things about that life that are going to be uncomfortable, but find that line for suffering and, and start to think for yourself a little bit more. Yeah. And I think like we love eventing. We want more people to do eventing, but I want more people to be in it for a long time, not just these like five years and then you hate it and then you leave again um, because the time selfishly the time it takes to train people <laughs> in yeah. eventing like you want to see them around for a long time awesome well thank you so much for coming on and, and talking about all of this and uh i'll look forward to seeing you out on the circuit thank you guys thank you so much for listening and in the meantime while you're enjoying the ride, make sure that you head to the whole equestrian social pages. Um, we have a really, really exciting opportunity for equestrians who are interested in overhauling what their definition of wellness is. This is our late girl whole equestrian retreat um, that is going to be in Deep Creek, Maryland, and that is from... May 16th through the 19th um, and it is with Stephanie Everett who is a uh, wellness professional who owns Total Evolution Health and Transition. Uh, she has done multiple retreats without equestrians and I'm teaming up with her to do a equestrian retreat. Um, so we've got a Facebook event, we've got um, a deal for listeners of the podcast and we've got a really fun weekend plan. So make sure that you're looking into that May 16th through May 19th in Deep Creek, Maryland. <laughs>